I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 21, if you will, please. Acts chapter 21. I'll read a few verses. I was doing a little study in my Bible. I called it Titles and Texts. I heard a preacher say, I was standing behind him. He's a very busy man, and I heard him say, if I just had a title and a text, it would help me. And the Lord just kind of stuck that on my heart. So I started in Genesis, and then I switched, and I went to the New Testament. And I went through every chapter in the New Testament, and I found a title and a text, a text that I thought would make a good sermon. And uh, some of them had outlines because they were just there. They were so obvious, and others didn't. And I was reading here in this chapter, and I came across a man, and I'm interested in this man, that I find in Acts chapter 21. I have to start reading in verse number 8. The next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple, with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem... The brethren received us gladly. Now I'm going to pray. And when I get done praying, I want to preach a little while on this man, Nason. The Bible calls him an old disciple. Not a term of disrespect, but I believe a term of great respect. And I want to talk to you for a moment about dwelling with an old disciple. Father, help us. We're greatly in need of thee. Lord, we love you. We don't love you like we ought to, but Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And I pray you'll help us in the next few moments to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to help the people of God. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm looking at this passage of Scripture and thinking about this man by the name of Nason. I, I, I wanted to call him Manason. But I didn't know how to pronounce him, so I got out my Alexander Scorby tapes and listened. He said, the M is silent, and the man's name is Nason. And I looked at this little phrase, an old disciple. It could mean a lot of things. It comes from the word archaos, which means past from common usage. And it, it can mean one of two things, and I think in this particular instance, it means both of these things. 
It means a man who is old in his age. He is an aged man. The Jews considered a man, when he reached the age of 65, to be, he could call himself and they would consider him an aged man. I'll be 67 a week from yesterday, so I assume I'm an aged man now. I don't, I, I, I'm, I don't feel old some mornings, but some mornings I feel very old. I'll talk to you about that in a little bit. But here is an aged man. It means he's old in his physical age, but it also means that he's old in his spirituality, that he's been a Christian for a long time. Sometimes this word that's used old here is translated from the beginning. And it's the idea that this man, Nason, has been a Christian. He's been a New Testament Christian since New Testament Christianity was around. He'd been around a long time. I've read what some people said about him. Some said that he might have been saved on the day of Pentecost. Some said that he might have been saved during the life of Christ. Uh, there's a Mr. Lockyer, Herbert Lockyer, in his book on men of the Bible, he, he said there's a tradition that Nason was saved, that he was one of the 70 that Christ sent out to preach in those days. So I don't know which one of those are true, but I know, according to the Bible, that he'd been saved a long time. He'd been a Christian a good while. One fellow said this. He said, there is no nobler sight in the world than an aged and experienced Christian who can testify that from his own trials, the reality of Christianity and a consolation of the cases of all the temptations of life. I like to get around an old disciple. He'd been around a while. He'll sit down and tell you about the storms. We heard about it this morning and the trials of life, but then he'll tell you about the grace of of God and the goodness of God and the keeping power of God. If he don't tell you that, you know one thing about him. He's not really an old disciple. He just pretended. Because if he was an old disciple that walked with God, he'd be able to tell you about the faithfulness of the God that we served. Then another fellow said this, there is not a more repulsive spectacle in all the world than an old man who will not give up on the world when the world's already given up on him. I want to talk to you about this old disciple for a little while. And I'm going to say three things about him from our text, verse number 16. And then I want to give you one thought, a little addendum, a little postscript at the end of the message. I'm thinking about being an old disciple. And I'm thinking that in our text, the Holy Ghost will deal with three things that old disciples have trouble with. Three things, maybe not old disciples particularly, but three things that older people have trouble with. And here is what, in all of these three things, Nason apparently has the victory through Christ. What would those three things be? Well, here's the first one. Sometimes older people have a problem with faithfulness. And here's what I mean by that. Faithfulness along the way to remain what they ought to be. Sometimes maybe when you get older, uh, some things you want to let them slip just a little bit and let them slide just a little bit. But I notice what the Bible says about this man, and it interests me, and it thrills my heart. The Bible just does not call him an old Christian. That would be good. The Bible doesn't just call him an old man. That would be fine. But the Bible calls him an old 
disciple. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is a learner, but he's more than a learner. A disciple is someone who not only hears what is taught, but he takes what is taught and applies it to his life and allows it to change him. Here is a man who is aged in years. He's heard a lot of things. I'm sure he knows a lot of things. He's had great experiences, but he is still a disciple. He's not got to the place where nobody can tell him anything. He's not gotten to the place where nobody can and teach him anything. He is still learning. I tell you, I want to still be learning when the Lord comes back to get me. I still want to be a disciple. I still want to be getting more things put in my life that would help me bring glory to God. I want it to always be that way as long as I'm alive. He is an old disciple. His designation is of interest to me. There's something else said about this old disciple, and that's his dwelling. His dwelling is interesting to me. Now, here is a man who is living in Jerusalem. I know that because verse number 17, when they were come to Jerusalem, he is going to, that's where he lives now, but that's not where he's from. Look in our text, verse 16. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one nation of Cyprus. This man was born in Cyprus and raised in Cyprus. If you study Cyprus, that village or that island of Cyprus, here's what you'll find. Cyprus was known for immorality. It was known for ungodliness. One writer that I read said this, Cyprus was a place noted for the dissolute manners of its inhabitants. Their unblushing wantonness was exhibited by all classes and the young were taught to regard sensual pleasure as the chief happiness of man. So I want you to think about this now. Here's where Nason was born. Here's the environment he was raised in. Here's the crowd that was around him. They were ungodly. They were immoral. They thought that sensual pleasure was what life was about. But you know where we find him? We don't find him living in that muck and mire. We don't find him living in that wickedness. We don't find him living in that ungodliness. We find him living for God. You know what he teaches me? You don't have to remain what you were when you started in this world. You don't have to let what you're, you're beginning uh, take the uh, uh, point you the rest of your life. You don't have to remain that. You can live beyond how you started. Come and say, well, preacher, I didn't start out very good. We'll finish well. Say, well, preacher, I don't have a family heritage. Then start one. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what my dad was like, what my mama was like. No, but I know what Jesus is like. He can change your life. You can do better than how you started. You know, we make all kind of excuses about, well, there was this, and there was that, and there was the other thing. Well, let me ask you a question. What about Jesus? What about Calvary? What about the Holy Ghost? What about the church? You don't have to stay like you were. You can live beyond that and above that. You can be somebody. Here's a man. He wouldn't have had a very good beginning, but he's having a pretty good ending. <laughs> Amen. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. That's what makes the difference. He has, has victory in the area of faithfulness. Here's the second area he has victory in. He has victory in the area of fearfulness. And I'm going to tell you, when you reach a certain age in life, it's easy to be afraid. So, preacher, why would you be afraid? Because you can't do what you used to do. Used to be if there's something wrong, something broke, I'd fix it. If there's something wrong, I'd straighten it out. But you know what? I cannot do what I used to do. I'm on a, you know, I had, to, I had to miss last year in the meeting, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. I had a health problem, and I couldn't see the doctor except this week. 
I woke up one morning numb from the top of my head on this side all the way down into my shoulder. And they've, they've just, I had to go see a neurologist and go through all this stuff. And I'm going to tell you, you, here's what it boils down to, chocolate. Milk chocolate gives me migraines, and migraines make me numb on the side of my head. That's what it all boils down to. Chocolate never bothered me when I was growing up. Never bothered me. But I'm getting older. You know what? I've had throat in this past year. I've had throat surgery. I've had shingles. I've got arthritis. I've got trigger finger on my... I get up in the morning, my finger stays like that, and I have to straighten... I never had trouble with that kind of stuff before, but I have trouble with it now. I cannot do what I used to do. I like Sometimes I like to think I can, but I can't. I had... I had water in my cellar. I had about four inches of water in my cellar. So I, I said to a fellow, what can I do about this? He said, put in a French drain. I said, okay. I, I, what's a French drain? And he told me what to do and had to have a, 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 a little trench dug. And I had a fellow up there doing some other work. So he dug my trench with a backhoe. And, and then I said, what do I do now? He said, get you, I think it was four tons of number two crushed stone. Put some down in the bottom, lay your corrugated pipe, and then cover it up with stones. I said, okay. So I called the Bayer Hardware down the road from where I live. I said, I need four tons of number two crushed stone. And they brought it up, and he had it in a big dump truck. And he backed in, and he said, where do you want this? And so I'm looking over at the trench, which is in the yard. I didn't want it on the grass. I didn't want it in the driveway. I said, well, right there where we turn around, right there, dump, dump it right there. So he dumped it right there. So he's driving down the road, and I'm looking at my four tons of number two crushed stone. I'm looking at it, and then I'm looking at my trench. And I'm thinking, I just made a big mistake because my stone is over here and my trench is over there. Well, my little garden tractor wouldn't run, couldn't get it started. And uh, so I, I had this thing called a gorilla cart. And uh, it's got big old wheels on it, and, and it dumps like a dump truck. It's not very big. So I got my gorilla cart and pulled it out there and shoveled stone into it till it was full. And then I took my hands like this, and I leaned forward, and I pulled that gorilla cart full of that stone over that trench and dumped it. I did that about three times. I said, this ain't going to work. It'd be easier to lay under the garden tractor and try and get it working than to do this. But I got all that stone moved from there to there. But you know what? That's been a year and a half ago. I felt it this morning. When I got out of bed, I felt it. I cannot do what I used to do. But you know what? You'll come to a place in life where you can't do what you used to do. You used to be, you just straighten it out. And what it'll do, what it can do if you're not careful is it can make you afraid. How will I handle this? And what will I do about that? But here is Nason. I want you to notice two things about him. I want you to notice, first of all, there went with us. Look at our text. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea. Now, where are they going? They're fixing to meet the apostle Paul. And they're going to take a trip, a journey with the Apostle Paul. You say, preacher, what's the big deal? Have you ever read about Paul's journeys? Have you ever read about the things that went on 
when you journeyed with the Apostle Paul? Let me read you what the Bible said, what he said about it himself. 2 Corinthians, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. That's a lot of peril. But this man, Nason, apparently is not afraid to uh, travel and take a journey with the Apostle Paul. I imagine somebody say, now, Nason, you know, it's going to be dangerous running with that crowd. It's going to be dangerous going with them. I can hear him say, you know what? The Lord's taking care of me this far. I believe he'll take care of me along the way. I believe I'll just do what God wants me to do. Not only is he going to take a journey with the Apostle Paul, he's going to join with the Apostle. He's going to take him home. He's going to take the Apostle Paul home to his house. Now, that might not bother us if we don't think about it, but if we think about it, go back to Acts chapter 17 and read about a man named Jason. And Jason accepted, invited the apostles into his house. And when that crowd around the Jews and the Gentiles heard about it, you know what they did? They gathered that whole crowd and they dragged Jason out of the house, dragged him before the magistrate, made him pay a fine and a bond in order to be let go. Now, you don't think that, or do you think, I think probably it's true that Nason knew what had happened to Jason, but Nason said, no, I don't care. I'm going to bring the man of God home. I'm going to take care of him. God will take care of me. I go up and preach at a place called Torch, Ohio. Right next to, actually it's in the little, there's a little four corners called Coolville. And I preach in the Gospel Baptist Church. And every year, it used to be, I'd go there every year, every other year, and there'd be this elderly couple would come the sweetest, two of the sweetest people I ever met in my life. Their daughter was a member of the church. And they'd come every time I preach and come for a revival meeting. And so one day we went out to eat with their daughter and her husband. And she said, let me tell you about my dad. So my dad was 50 years old and he was working for a utility company. And he could retire with full retirement, all of his benefits, insurance, everything at 55. And they came to him when he was 50 and they said, you know, we're, we're kind of changing things around a little bit. We want to offer you a full retirement at the age of 50. He thought about it. He prayed about it. At least he thought he'd prayed about it. He said, I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to retire. I'd like to just finish. I enjoy my job. They said, okay. A few weeks after that, he's doing his devotions. And he said, in my devotions, the Lord told me to go in and quit and retire. So he went in and he retired. He said, I've changed my mind. I, I feel like the Lord wants me to retire and I'd like to retire. They said, okay. So he retired. All his full benefits, the whole thing. And then about, I don't know if it was a month later, it was a little while later, he's in his devotions. He's 50 years old now. The Lord called him to preach. And he surrendered. And he didn't just, he didn't just start preaching. He felt like if he's going to preach, he needed to have a place to preach. So he went and started a church. And he started a church in Ohio, right by the river, right between, that, that separates Ohio from West Virginia. And he pastored there for over 20 years. You say, preacher, how can a man do that? God can help him do that if God tells him to. I'm just saying to you, what happens to us if we're not careful? Now, you young people, you're looking at me saying, preacher, this has nothing to do with me. Well, you hang on, I'm getting to you. 
You say, well, preacher, what about that? I'm just saying to you, God will help you. Just do what God tells him. Let's get victory over this business of being afraid. It's not just elder people that get afraid. Sometimes young people get afraid, and middle-aged people get afraid, and mamas get afraid, and daddies get afraid. But my Bible said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee, O Lord. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And we don't have to be afraid. We have a God who holds our future in his hand. We have a God who will watch out for us and take care of us. And so we don't have to be afraid. He seems to have victory in the area of faithfulness and in the area of fearfulness. And here's a third area where sometimes older folks have trouble. He seems to have victory in the area of friendliness. Because you know what can happen to you if you're not careful? You can get sour when you get old. You ever met a sour old person? I was at a Shoney's one time, Bradenton, Florida, and I was at the buffet getting something to eat, and this, this woman, i never seen her before, I, I call her, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, I'd call her a little old lady, and she came walking up to me, I never laid eyes on her, she never laid eyes on me, I had no idea who she was, she had no idea who I was, I'm standing there with my plate, she walked up to me, I'm not going to use the exact wording that she had, but she said, she pointed at the buffet, she said, what? In the name of, is that? Just like that. That's just the way she said it to me. I said, I was taken aback. I didn't know what to say. I said the first thing that came to my mind, which not, might not have been the right thing. But I said, I don't know, but it looks good. She took a lap around that buffet, and she come back, and she said, Vegetables! That's all they have on this bar is vegetables! And I hate vegetables! I didn't say the first thing that came into my mind that time. Because the first thing that came into my mind was, then go eat somewhere else. Let me eat in peace. But look at me. She never laid eyes on me before, but she was mad at somebody. And whoever she was mad at was not there. So I got to experience it. You know what I think an old Christian ought to be? Ought to be the sweetest person you have ever been around in your life. When I get in these churches, I spend a lot of time with these little ones. I talk to them. I tell the boys, you look sharp, you look handsome. I tell the girls, you look pretty today. I t- and I, I, you say, preacher, why do you do that? Because when they, I want them, when they see the man of God, I want them someday to say to somebody, you know what? That man of God was so kind to me. That was the sweetest man I've ever been around. The Bible tells us in the book of Jude that we're preserved, but I'm afraid some of us are pickled. <laughs> so sour. That nobody want to be around you. We're like that, that, that little boy was staying at his grandma's house and grandma was a stern old religious woman. She didn't believe in smiling. She didn't believe in laughing. She was just stern as she could be and he'd had all he could take that day in the house and he got out of the house. He went walking down the lane and there was an old mule in the pasture and that mule leaned over that, that fence with that old long face and looked at that boy and that boy looked up and said, it's okay, Mr. Mule. Grandma's got religion too. I don't want my religion to be like that. I don't want my Christian to be like that. I don't want to. I don't want to be sour all the time. Hey, what do we have to be sour about? We've got something to be sweet about. We got something to be joyful about. Somebody ought to know. It's good to be a Christian. I remember Brother Goolsby singing. I'd rather be an old time Christian than anything I know. There's nothing better than knowing Christ and walking with Him. Why would anybody want to be saved? Have what you have if what you have has done nothing but make you sour? sad now you think I've left the scripture but I haven't 
If you go back to verse 16, I want you to think about this little phrase, with whom we should lodge. Now, I want you to think about what's about to happen. I've tried to figure it out. I've read what everybody said, different men have said. And here's the conclusion. I could be wrong, I'm not, I, I, but this is what I believe from what I've read of people that study this, that there's 14 to 16 people getting ready to move in with him. Now, I want to ask you a question. How would you like that? They're moving in with you. They're going to move in. You know what's going to happen when they move in? They're going to, they're going to change all your habits. I have stayed. I've been, I've been traveling evangelism over 40 years, and I've stayed with a lot of different people. And here's what they'll say when you, when you walk in the door. Make yourself at home. It's an impossibility. You can't do it. They say, make yourself at home. Whatever's in the refrigerator is yours. Just make yourself at home. But you can't do it because you know everything you do messes up their schedule. They'll say, now, if you want something in the refrigerator, Brother Billy Kelly used to tell about staying in this house. And the lady said, now, everything you in the house, everything I have is yours. And she said, what, whatever's there, you know, uh, whatever's, it, it, it just, just. Treat it like it's yours. So he woke up in the middle of the night. He was coughing. His throat was drying. He couldn't find the light switch. He found his way out in the hall. He found the kitchen. He couldn't find the light switch in the kitchen. He fell around. He found the refrigerator. He opened up the refrigerator, and that light came on and blinded him. And he's feeling in there, and he, he saw something that looked like a little glass of water. He needed something to drink, so he picked it up, and he started drinking it, and it was water. But he drank it a little bit, and something hit his nose. And he pulled it back down and his eyes cleared up and that, that woman in the house had taken her false teeth and put them in a glass of water. And he's drinking that water that her, glass te- or that her false teeth were floating in. I'm just saying to you, how can you make yourself at home in somebody else's home? I was uh, pastoring the church and one of my best friends I grew up with, he'd been out to California. He had, I think he had eight children. It might have been nine. I can't remember. And he'd taken them in a van from Michigan and driven to California with those kids in that van. And then they spent time, and then they were driving back. And, and my house, the parsonage where I was living, was right on the way. And he called me, and he said, uh, he said Brian, he said, I'm coming through, and we'd like to stop and spend a little time with you. I said, that'd be fine. My wife and my daughters were gone. I was by myself. And uh, when he pulled in the driveway, and I'm, I'm not making fun of him. I hope you don't think that. That's not the case. But they pulled in the driveway, and he opened that van, and children started coming out, and they just kept coming out. And they got in the house. Now, think about this. They've been cooped up in that van, I don't know, probably seven hours that day. And, man, when you opened the door, it was like, We're free! But they were free in my house. And they were in every they were in every room, they were in every closet, they were in every drawer. That little mama was like the Holy Ghost. She was following around, closing doors, closing drawers, picking up toys. She looked at me and she went, and I looked at her and I went, two. They were kids. They were being kids. And then I remembered we had a gymnasium at the church. I said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's go over to the gym and I'll get out the balls. And they went over there and they, they worked off all that energy. I'm just saying to you, this man is a friendly man. He is willing to have them come in his home. He's willing to share what he has. 
He's not old stick in the mud. Are you listening now? He's not just, he's not just going to say, you know, this is my place and I've, put, I've spent a lot of time putting this together and I don't want anybody messing it up and I don't want anybody in there. And, you know, I don't like change. If you're like me, you don't like things to change. I could just hear him say, I don't, I don't like change. But he wouldn't say that. Apparently he's got victory in the area of friendliness. Now, having said all that, let me say this to you. Here is my question when I read about this man, Nason. Because I want to be like Nason was. I want to be faithful. I want to be fearless. And I want to be friendly. I want to be that way. How do you get that way? Well, there's a, I think there's a secret told to us in the verse. It's his name. Nason. You know what it means? It means remembering. <laughs> remembering. I can hear old Nason say, I, you know what? I won't ever forget when I was lost and on my way to hell. And Jesus came by where I was and saved my soul. Brought me up out of a horrible pit, set my feet upon the rock, put a song in my heart, established my goings. I think probably the secret to this business of faithfulness is never forget where you were when God found you. Never forget the mess you were in. Never forget what your life was like. Don't forget the pit you were dug out of and the rock from which you were hewn. Don't forget where you were and what you were and how lost you were and how destroyed you were going to be when Jesus came and saved your soul, found you in that condition, loved you and saved you. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget it. Tell it over and over again. I listen to it, sing about it, preach about it, witness about it. Don't ever forget. Let me ask you a question. Do you have anything to remember? Can you remember when you got born again? Can you remember when you was lost and you got saved? Can you remember? I don't know where you were. I, I, I got saved 11 o'clock on a Saturday night at 110 North Forest Street in Wayland, Michigan. I know exactly the place. I know what day it was. I know the, uh, approximately the time it was, 11 o'clock. I was under Holy Ghost conviction. I looked over at my wife and I said, Honey, I'm lost. I'm going to hell. If I don't do something, I'm going to die and go to hell. She said, I'm lost too. What are we going to do? I said, That preacher said... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, let's do what that preacher said. Let's call. And you know what we did? We did what that preacher said. And you know what? Just what he said would happen, happened. We got born again. We've been saved ever since. I heard one fellow preach one time. He said, you know, that verse, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that doesn't have to do with salvation. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't fuss with him about it. He might be smarter than I am. But I'll tell you this, it sure did work on me and my wife. Uh, God saved our soul. I won't ever forget getting born again. Do you have anything to remember? Could you say, preacher, you know, I remember when I was lost and I came to Jesus. I remember when I was lost and I called on him. I remember. Do you have anything to remember? You know what? It'll help us with our faithfulness. It'll help us with our fearfulness. It'll help us with our friendliness if we'll just remember. I was in a meeting one day. This preacher was up preaching, pastor at a large church in Ohio. And he was giving his testimony. And he said this. 
He said, I was a dope addict, a meth head. He said, I was living under a bridge. Hadn't had a bath in who knows how long. My hair scraggly, my teeth falling out, and the breath bad. And he said, somebody came by there and picked up a bunch of us and took us to church. He said, I was sitting in that church building. And the preacher got up and he began to talk about a God who loved me. And sent his son to die for me. And he said, that preacher said that that God loved me and wanted me for his own and would save me if I'd ask him. He said, they gave an invitation. He said, he's telling the testimony. He said, I came down the altar. I didn't know what to do. He said, I was on my knees at the altar. And all of a sudden, I felt an arm around me. And he said, I looked in this man dressed in a three-piece suit, his hair just perfect and immaculate. He said, that man looked at me and said, what's wrong, son? He said, I need Jesus. And he said, I know when I spoke to him, my breath was so bad it would turn his stomach. And he said, he looked at me and he said, Jesus loves you, and he led me to Christ. He was telling about that. And I thought to myself, I didn't have any man slip their arm around me but the sweet Holy Ghost of God. Slipped his arm around me that night in that bed and said, son, if you call on Jesus, he'll save you. And I did, and he saved me. And I don't ever want to forget what he did for me that night. Don't ever forget. Do you have anything to remember? I want to remember him saving me. I want to remember him taking care of me all along the way. My son Eric worked for an accounting firm. And he'd been a member of the Pax Branch Baptist Church ever since he's a little fella. Brother, brother, uh, the pastor there was getting ready to retire. He's getting up, and he, I think he was 80 years old. And he'd been grooming my son-in-law to, to become the pastor. Been working with him, praying with him, taking him, visiting, teaching him things. And so I knew that the preacher, Brother Vance, was retiring. And I knew that that Eric was, he wanted Eric to be the pastor, but you know, the church got a vote, right? So I'm driving down the road with my wife, and Sherry's on the phone with my daughter Rachel, and she said, he did. And I caught her saying that, and when she got off the phone, I said, what did he do? She said, Eric quit his job. I said, he did what? She said, he quit his job. I said, have they voted yet? Have they voted him in? She said, no. I said, you mean he quit his job and they haven't voted him in yet? Why didn't he wait till they voted him in and then quit? She looked at me. You know that look. She looked at me. She said, do you remember when you left your job and went on the road with no meetings, nothing scheduled just because God told you to? Do you remember that? I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know what happened to me? I forgot. I forgot how good God was to me. I forgot how he met every need. All I had to do was just do what he told me. I didn't have to be good at it. I just had to do it. I forgot. You know what happens to us? We forget. And that's why we're afraid. We forget how God's taken care of us all along the way, every step, met every need, been better to us than we could be to ourselves. Somebody said, preacher, gas got high. I was driving a diesel 
motor home and gas was five something a gallon. Somebody said to me, Preacher, how can you afford to travel at five dollars a gallon? And I didn't have an answer. And I went home and God said to me, You couldn't afford it when it was a dollar a gallon. If it hadn't been for me. He'll take care of us, friend. Doesn't matter what's ahead. Doesn't matter what we're facing. He'll take care of us. He never has failed. You know what he's got? He's got a perfect record. Don't forget. Don't forget. I don't want to forget. I want to be like Nason, and I can't be if I'm forgetful. I must remember. I must remember. I have a fiddle. I used to say I play the fiddle. Then I met a man named Andy Leftwich. Now I say I have a fiddle. <laughs> now I was with Brother Andy one day and I said, uh, show me something on the fiddle that will help me. He said, well, play for me. I said, no. <laughs> Just show me something that will help me. He said, well, if I could hear you play, then I said, no, I'm not playing in front of you. Just tell me something that will help me. He said, all right, get your fiddle and hold it. Hold it like you're going to play it, but don't play it. Just hold it like you're going to play it. And he said, take your bow, get a hold of it, get it in your right hand. And he said, just take it across the strings. Don't make a note. Don't try and do anything up here. Just take it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back. He said, don't play a song. Just take that bow back and forth and back and forth. I said, what will that do for me? He said, it'll train your muscles. And your muscles will remember. When you pick up that bow, they'll know what to do from memory. And I thought to myself, Lord, I want to tell, you, I want to tell about you so often that it's just natural. I want to read my Bible so much that it's just natural. I want to pray so much that it's just natural for me to pray. I want to give so much that it's just natural to give. I want to be faithful to the church of God, the house of God, so much that it's just natural for me to go. I tell you, Lord, what I'd like to do with the invitation time, I'd like to use the altar so much that it's just natural for me when you speak to me to get on my knees and say, Lord, thank you for speaking to me. Here's what I'll do. I'm just saying to you, I want to remember. Some young person here is saying, Preacher, I'm not old and this has nothing to do with me. Oh, wait a minute, friend. If Jesus don't come back, you're going to get as old as I am or later one of these days. And what you better start doing is you better start making some memories with God. You better start being faithful to God and walking with God so that it's a natural thing so that when you become old, here's what will happen. I've been walking with God so long, I think I'll just keep on. I think I'll just be faithful. You better make some memories so that you don't forget. You better start now. I read this. This fellow said this. As ripe fruit is sweeter than green fruit, so is age sweeter than youth, provided the youth were grafted into Christ. As harvest time is brighter than uh, seed time, so is age brighter than youth. That is if youth were a seed time for good. As the completion of a work is more glorious than the beginning, so is age more glorious than youth, that is if the foundation of the work of God were laid plain in youth. As sailing into a port is happier than the voyage, so is age happier than youth. That is, when the voyage from youth is made with Christ at the helm, the old ship is iron.
I want to be an old disciple like Nason was. I don't want to be an old stick in the mud. I don't want to be an old failure. I want to be an old disciple like this man, Nason. We don't know everything there is to know about him. But I know this. God thought it important to name him in the book. I want to be like Nason. I want you to bow your heads a moment, if you will. Heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. God spoke to your heart. The altar's open. Won't you come? Maybe you'd want to come and say, Lord, I want to serve you and be faithful. Maybe a young person would come to the altar and say, Lord, I want to start right now serving you, being faithful to you, being serious about the things of God. Maybe somebody here say, Preacher, I don't have anything to remember. I don't remember getting saved. I don't remember getting right with God. I don't remember that. But I'd like to be saved and I'd like to be right with God. If you come, we'll get somebody to help you. They can get it settled. They can get it settled. I'm looking around this auditorium. I, I see Miss Christie back there and I think to myself, I hung around with Billy Kelly and it made me want to live for God. And I see Steve Goolsby, and I think to myself, I hung around with Billy Goolsby, and it made me want to live for God. And I see the Reigns family. They, want, they make me want to live for God. Let me ask you here, if you're an aged person, does your life make anybody want to live for God? I hope it does. Father, help us in this invitation. Help your people. Help them that are lost. Help the young. Help the old and the in-between. I have tried, Lord, to be careful in my language to not be disrespectful in any way, and I hope I have not. But, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be old disciples. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.